Hey everyone and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Control Up, end-to-end digital experience management for the work from anywhere era. Control Up, happy users, happy IT. And also brought to you by Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Following up from last week's big story, Microsoft have released an out-of-band patch to fix the issues for Kerberos authentication that was caused by the November Windows updates when installed on domain controllers, as covered on last week's episode. And from talking with people last week, the consensus seemed to be that people were going to apply some registry fixes as a mitigation rather than rush into installing the out-of-band patch in case of being bit twice. But if you want to brave the out-of-band patches, they are available via the Microsoft Update Catalog, and as is usually the case with an out-of-band patch, they will not be offered via Windows Update. And while I did speak with people last week who were a little shy to rushing in and uh, getting that patch out, the awesome patch management email group did have several people discussing the fact that they did deploy the patches and they deployed successfully. Some on the official Microsoft out-of-band announcement in the comments section claimed the patch fixed one issue but created more with new events being reported in the event logs. Steve Sifus continues to be a great source of information and he addressed reports of some noticing a trend of Windows events in the event viewer after patching and shared what those events mean. So as is usually the case, obviously you want to patch as soon as possible, but Use due diligence and test, test, test. This next story could really be one of the tips in the scripts, tricks, and tips segment, but Adam Gross shared that the November Visual C++ redistributable update broke one of their applications. He said uninstalling the redistributable leaves several DLLs behind that won't roll back when installing the old version. And it's interesting, I think part of the tip as well is Uh, He gives his method for troubleshooting this, and he said that he used the sysinternals movefile.exe to flag all of the DLLs set for deletion and reboot, and after reboot, the DLLs are gone. And as part of the fix, he went ahead and installed the October redistributable. So a quick heads up there. I think it's kind of interesting because the one issue that seems to be pretty pertinent still within enterprise with applications is those corrupted uninstalls that affect application updates. Also patch related somewhat, uh, Windows Update for Business Reports is now generally available. It combines organizational and device level reporting with actionable data and insights. And they say the aim of the reports is to provide more from Windows Updates monitoring with customized reports on rich deployment data through seamless integration with multiple Microsoft 365 tools, Azure Monitor, and Log Analytics. 
And if you haven't yet, you can enroll your tenant once you have met the prerequisites, which includes signing up for Azure Active Directory using Azure AD Enrolled or Hybrid Joint, uh, configure your devices to send diagnostic data to Microsoft for use with Windows Update for Business Reports, and then to request enrollment, uh, you need to sign in with one of the following Azure AD user roles, either into an administrator, Windows Update for Business Administrator, or Global Administrator. The Register reported this week that Microsoft have started to advise of price hikes for the SQL Server. The price hikes were detailed on Microsoft's Partner Center announcements page, which detailed a jump from $1,325.15 to $1,583.88 for a two-core, one-year SQL Server standard license pack, which is a jump from $5,080.45 to $6,073.92 for an enterprise license pack too. Those hikes apply to the licenses sold through the cloud service providers, uh, Microsoft partners who sell and administer software licenses to their end customers, and the price rises commence from January 1st. Software licensing consultancy QXL have also claimed that Microsoft is set to increase the price of on-premises SQL Server licenses by up to 10% or 8% for Microsoft service providers. While not officially confirmed across the board yet, it sounds like SQL is going to get more expensive for all. It was announced this week that IGIL, our Eagle, are set to leave the hardware business and focus solely on the software side with their awesome operating system. CRN.com reports this comes at a time when they are third in the US and European markets with over 3 million thin clients out in the wild. IGIL's Jed Aries stated, quote, IGIL has had the number one position in Germany right up to this minute. It's a pretty big move to walk away from that. It's a profitable business, but we are a software company. We have 150 software developers and are investing heavily in building out our two software development centers in Germany, and we are opening a new five-story world-class building in Augsburg in December, end quote. So I think this certainly makes sense. Uh, I know as a former IGEL customer, when we were using the product, we were using the OS and UMS for managing the thin clients, but we were actually running them on HP thin clients. So there's a large market out there of existing thin clients that IGEL can sell their management capabilities and their operating system to. And it looks like they may come under increased competition from the likes of Google with the Flex OS for thin clients now too. So it'll be interesting to see the changes coming to the thin client market. Citrix have announced a U-turn on their previously announced end of support for Citrix endpoints management, saying because of positive feedback, they are bringing Citrix endpoint management back as a critical capability of the Citrix portfolio. They say there will be no end of support, no maintenance only mode, and no end of maintenance date of December 2025. Citrix endpoint management is now fully supported. So pretty definitive statement there. And kudos to Citrix for their decision to reverse that end of support and just kind of killing off of the Citrix endpoint management product. Uh, that's a positive for customers. 
In some other Citrix-related news, this week Citrix published a CTX article, CTX 474990, stating that they are aware of an issue where the Citrix client-side WebRTC media engine hdxrtcengine.exe sporadically crashes or the user experiences video freezing during video calls when the user is connected to a certain Intel-based endpoint client. This issue is reproduced in longer calls where the user is showing a video and sharing the screen or an application. The problem is specific to the Intel i5-1245U 1.6 GHz processor using the UHD Graphics 770 adapter, including any of the following drivers. Version 30.0.101.102.1314.1960 and .3430. And this driver is used in newer model thin terminal and computer devices too including the HP Elite Mini 600 G9 desktop PC, the Dell Weiss C6N65Q3, and more. They said the issue is the result of a problem in the Intel graphics device driver on, those th on these clients, and the device driver issue causes the memory used by the HDXRTCEngine.exe process to grow, become fragmented, and cause the crash or freeze issue. This problem is more frequent and sudden if the user has multiple monitors connected to the endpoint. As a temporary workaround to the issue, you can remove the Intel driver for these devices and use the Microsoft generic device driver on those clients. Intel and Citrix are currently working to rectify this situation permanently by developing a modified version of the Intel driver that doesn't have this memory growth issue. And just kind of a side note, but Citrix customers are actually in good company this month. As just from other reports, it seems that a lot of vendors have faced issues related to patches in November, either their own patches causing issues or patches from other vendors causing problems for them. TheHackerNews.com reported on multiple security vulnerabilities that have been disclosed in F5 Big IP and Big IQ devices that if successfully exploited can lead to completely compromised systems. They say that cybersecurity firm Rapid7 have reported that the flaws could be abused to remote access to the devices and defeat security constraints. And the issues impact Big IP versions 13.x, 14.x, 15.x, 16.x, and 17.x, and Big IQ centralized management versions 7.x and 8.x. These are listed as CVE 2022 41622, which gets a severity score of 8.8 .8 out of 10. And this one is a cross site request forgery vulnerability through the iControl SOAP leading to an unauthenticated remote code execution. And there's also CVE-2022-41800, which gets a similar 8.7 out of 10, so pretty close. And this is an iControl REST vulnerability that could allow an authenticated user with an administrator role to bypass appliance mode restrictions. So at least in that case, it appears they need to be authenticated with an administrator role applied to them. 
While F5 has made no mention of any of the vulnerabilities being exploited in attacks yet, it's recommended that users apply the necessary engineering hotfixes released by the company to mitigate potential risks. The Windows subsystem for Linux in the Microsoft Store is now out of preview according to windowscentral.com and the store version of the Windows subsystem for Linux is now also the default experience for new users and those who try to upgrade. The store version is also now available for not only Windows 11 but also Windows 10 too. Microsoft recently announced new removable storage management features on Windows, and this includes the Defender for Endpoint now allows organizations to better control how users read, write, and execute access to specific files on removable storage. So for example, by using the file name path extension, Defender for Endpoint can block end users from executing any file with INK, BAT, bin, chm, cmd, com, cpl, and exe extensions. Also, another feature, an admin may want to track what files are being moved to an authorized removable storage device, and admins can create a policy to now capture a copy of the file on their customized network shares. Another feature is that you can set a network location as a condition, so in certain scenarios where administrators want to ensure better security across remote devices, they can enforce stricter policies on machines that are not connected to the corporate network by creating different device control policies based on a machine's network location using the network and VPN connection group types that they recently created in the controls feature within the policies. There's also Azure Active Directory users and groups now supported with the product for targeting conditions and more. So for a full list of the new features, you could check that out for yourself and I'll share a link with this episode, which is episode 257 and you'll find that over at fivebytespodcast.com or you should see a link in the podcast episode description on your podcast platform of choice. Show sponsor ControlUp have released version 8.7 of Realtime DX. Although this may be a soft release because I went into ControlUp Realtime DX in my environment and I hadn't yet been prompted to do the update. But if you go to um, check for updates within the console, uh, then you're provided with the update to version 8.7 or you can find the download and information for this version on their site which by the way, Realtime DX 8.7 includes new security enhancement features, including secure login that helps prevent control of users from logging into control of organizations for which they do not have privileges. Um, users need to enter an OTP code sent to their email address when they start the console and log into a control up organization, which I did notice. And the OTP is saved for 14 days. So users won't need to enter it again for that period. Organization owners and users with the login access manager role are now the users that can permit access to the real-time console and insights. So helping to streamline who could provide access to the console, that's pretty good. And there's also now support for non-NVIDIA GPU metrics within Realtime DX, so that's very cool. In a pretty big development, 
Control up solve has now got solve actions. So you're able to run built-in and script-based actions to remediate and optimize your environment directly from the solve interface. So in the past, you would have had to go into real-time DX to execute those uh, script-based actions, but now you can do it from this beautiful web UI within solve. There's also some security enhancements around Solve as well. They've brought in some IP restriction capabilities where you can now restrict who can access your Solve environment and perform actions in Solve based on IP addresses. You can add an IP whitelist to enable access only to those users from an IP address listed in your IP whitelist. And also I noticed kind of a side note, not related to version 8.7, but this week ControlUp sent out an email to customers who might be using scalpies of some IP address changes. So for your network security, if you have your own whitelist that you manage in your network layer, uh, you may want to reflect these new IP addresses. The recently released Windows 10 22H2 has been designated for broad deployment by Microsoft, meaning that it is available to a larger number of eligible Windows 10 devices. Microsoft says, the Windows 10 version 22H2 feature update is entering its final rollout phase and is now designated for broad deployment. As part of the broad deployment phase, Microsoft is offering this update to an expanded set of eligible devices running Windows 10 version 20H2 and later. If you have an eligible device, you can install this feature update by opening Windows Update Settings and selecting Check for Updates. And then once the update is ready for your device, you will see the option to download and install. So, uh, same as usual. And devices currently on Windows 10 version 20H2 or newer will have a fast installation experience because this feature update will install like a monthly update. For more information on this version, I actually covered the features of this, which it's not a major update by any means, but I covered on a previous episode of the podcast, or you could check out the link that I'll provide with this episode that gives you a bit of a rundown. A couple of quick hit stories to wrap up the news for this week, but the Citrix CTP and CTA applications for 2023 classes are now open. Uh, So if you've been contributing in the community in meaningful ways over the last year, for sure, go ahead and apply to join these awesome programs. Final story for this week, I would like to announce the festive tech calendar giveaway for the five bytes podcast is now live for this year. So I tweeted out a poll about two or three weeks ago, asking people uh, what they would like as the giveaway prize for this year. And the majority chose an Elgato stream deck. So I'm entering a giveaway that you can win an Elgato stream deck. If you're chosen at random at the end of December, And all you have to do to enter is simply provide your details and at least subscribe to the YouTube channel for the podcast. So you do have to enter your name, email address, and date of birth, although don't put in your actual date of birth. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's just for verification purposes for ensuring you're over 18. Um, I don't store any of this information either. It gets uh, purged and deleted after, I believe, 90 days after the competition has ended. Uh, So really, it's just getting the name and email address to associate it with your entry so I can contact you. Um, But essentially, just enter details and at least subscribe to the YouTube channel for the podcast via the giveaway widget. 
And then you can also complete some other actions like, you know, follow the podcast on SoundCloud, uh, possibly follow on Twitter, that sort of thing. And then each action you take is worth an extra entry. So it increases your chances of winning when the software chooses the winner at random. And also just to promote the festive tech calendar, if you haven't checked out the schedule yet, I actually talked about it on last week's episode, but the schedule is live and there's really great sessions happening all through December. And I'll be speaking on a topic of robotic process automation on December 24th. So I don't think anyone's going to watch that one live, uh, but I'll share the recording after it's gone published. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. First up this week, Andreas Korzeleni tweeted a little tidbit saying, did you know there is a limit of 195 conditional access policies that you can create in an Azure AD tenant? I did not know that. I don't think that's a limitation that would ever hit, or at least I hope not. Uh, But hey, there is a limit and now you know. And Keith Atherton has started his own blog this week. And he says he's planning to write about all things development, including .NET, C Sharp, SQL, Azure, Power Platform, and also some non-technical subjects. So he hasn't posted any content yet other than just kind of launched the blog and announced it. But be sure to check that out. Maybe subscribe if there's an RSS feed so you can see some of that content when it's published. And final tip this week, there's a Terraform tip from the awesome Jake Walsh who says that if you're using count and need to carry out actions on resources created using it, you can use count with length and count.index in the dependent resource. And he provides an example within his tweet. There's a screenshot if you're not watching the YouTube edition of this podcast. So you might have to check out the links for yourself. Uh, But in the example, he creates four subnets and associates the same NSG to all of them. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody and I'll catch you next week.